today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. The big news uh, yesterday uh, in Ontario, not just COVID-19, of course, but uh, the Auditor General's report about uh, the Ontario government's handling of the COVID-19 crisis uh, so far this year. Uh, Auditor General... uh, uh, Bonnie Lissick, of course, has come out with a number of different things about government initiatives. This one very germane to the discussion that we're having about how this is impacting us on a daily basis and the messaging we're getting. And this uh, dovetails very nicely into some of the comments we've received over uh, the last little while from various mayors in the area, from London, Hamilton, uh, Burlington, and other places, about what they call mixed messaging and half measures from this government. Anyway, it's uh, addressed in the report. uh, And yesterday, after the report was released, Ontario Premier Doug Ford well, was not impressed. For the Auditor General to undermine them right now as they work morning, noon, and night to get us through the second wave, I have to question that. From the outset of this pandemic, we have moved at rapid speed, and the results speak for themselves. Yes, they do. The results do speak for themselves. Joining us to talk about this is the Auditor General, Bonnie Lissick. Uh, Bonnie, thank you so much for the time. Good to have you back on the program today. Well, thank you for having me, Bill. I think you've uh, probably heard a number of the Premier's comments, uh, which probably are very much in line with most of the other Premier's comments from past uh, governments and past reports that you've initiated like this. Uh, It's never a happy time for them, I guess, when somebody shines the light on this. But one of the accusations he made that I did want to get a comment from you on, though, Bonnie, was uh, the assertion from the Premier that you're overstepping your bounds with some of the things that you talked about here. How do you respond to that? Uh, you know, these reports are along the line of all the reports that we do that we, we call value for money. I mean, value for money is beyond um, just looking at absolute dollars. It's looking at processes, systems, means of communication, governance. And, uh, you know, and I'll give you an example. In uh, the report on labs testing, we talked about how the lab system still requires man- manual entry into the system. So, you know, to have a new IT, to have a new IT system that will track the, um, the lab tests and link it up with the um, case management system in the public health units would be a way to not just save money but efficient, if be efficient and reduce the communication so that the, uh, the transmission of COVID can be reduced because the time, um, you know, to the point of test results to contacting somebody and tracing their acquaintances uh, can also be reduced. So this, this work is in line with all the work we do. And, well, uh, yeah. No, I was just going to suggest that from what I read of the report anyway, uh, and I mentioned this in my opening, a lot of the stuff that you've included in here, you and your staff have included in here, uh, really reflects an awful lot of the criticisms that, that the Ford government's been getting from governments, uh, local governments all over the place about lack of communication, about mixed messaging, why isn't the contact tracing working as much as it is? Uh, those are questions, I, I don't want to pull the old National Enquirer line, but, you know, inquiring minds want to know, why isn't it working the way it's supposed to be working? And I, I think that's what you're addressing in this report. Yeah, for sure. sure. We're, we're basically taking a look at what's happened over the last few months with the, the view and the intent of providing recommendations that can be implemented going forward. So, you know, there have been, you know, it's not just negatives. There's been good things, good decisions mm-hmm. made as well. And this will, you know, make the process, we think, going forward even better. Um, the recommendations were accepted by the Ministry, Ontario Health, Public Health Ontario, and the Secretary of Cabinet. So we feel like we've vetted it. Uh, there's solid recommendations. And, uh, and you know, it's done all done with the spirit of, you know, we're like, you know, we're all in it together. And uh, this will take us forward. 
And, and I know that uh, when we've talked with the Premier and other uh, ministers on the show about some of the policies, and we've had some serious questions about them over the last 12, 11 months as well, uh, and, and the common theme seems to be, well, look, at there's no playbook for this. We've never gone through this before. And that's not totally true. I mean, we had a SARS epidemic here, and the Ontario government had to handle some years ago. And uh, Dr. Bonnie Henry, who's now in British Columbia, of course, uh, I know developed some policies about that. I just talked to some of her staff members on the show earlier this week. Uh, and uh, it, not necessarily a playbook, but some guidelines to handle these sorts of things. And they don't seem to be... Uh, the th- sorts of things that this government has actually paid much attention to. Because the question we're keep getting, Bonnie, is uh, did we not learn anything from SARS? Yeah, I mean, the SARS, the SARS reports brought a lot of value to Ontario with their recommendation. I mean, it created the structure of public health Ontario. It created the role of the chief medical officer and gave the chief medical officer more powers in legislation. Um, one of the recommendations was what they called the precautionary principle. So taking preventative measures to protect public health, even in the absence of complete information, still informed decision-making, but you might not have all of the information, all the science. So the the uh, message was take decisive action early in situations where there is high risk. And uh, so in our report, we point out some of those areas where we can learn from the past, um, one being in particular um, a, a bit of a delay in addressing the risk of COVID transmission on farms, for example. You know, the first um, farm outbreak was in April, around April 27th, but the memo that was sent out, um, you know, to to the various public health units wasn't sent out till June. So, you know, looking back, okay, now, you know, and hindsight, hindsight does give people, I think, information to make positive changes going forward. So it's not always just about, you know, blame. It's about learning from the past and moving forward. Well, on that very topic, though, one of the things that I know was very disturbing, and I can remember having a number of shows about this at the time, uh, was at that time Dr. Williams' uh, reticence to identify community transmission as uh, as something that we should be aware of, and he just didn't seem convinced and seemed to be the, the doubting Thomas that was the last one to come into the fold. Yeah, community transmission, we do comment on that in the report in that, um, you know, there was some, well, there was knowledge in other provinces that there was community transmission happening, so the risk was high that it was going to happen in Ontario, and Ontario was aware that there was community transmission before it was publicly communicated. Uh, and and that, obviously that's something that needs to be addressed in situations like this. Bonnie, when you, your staff are doing these sorts of things, and, and do you look at this it, it, just on the Ontario situation alone, or do you do you broaden the perspective to say, okay, how are other people doing it? Because I know that you referenced, for instance, uh, a medical journal that uh, talked about Ontario as compared to British Columbia and their approaches to it, and, and Ontario seemed to be falling short. So you, do you use those comparators? Yes, yes. My team reached out to, um, you know, other jurisdictions, like other provinces, to learn what was going well in their jurisdiction. Uh, you know, we look at uh, publications, international practices, um, and, and bring into the report, um, you know, sort of comparable situations that provide examples of how, you know, uh, things can move forward and there's learnings coming from it. You know, the one you were alluding in, um, I think it was around July 2020, Lancet, Public Health uh, had an article in it that talked about um, lab testing and contact tracing, and it said that if each of those is done uh, within two days, you um, or be, uh, two days, that reduces transmission 39 percent. 
so you have to be fast, right, with with mm-hmm. the testing, the lab testing, and uh, uh, the case management and the contact tracing. So that we learned from, you know, science material. We also, um, you know, I think it's good to, to know, we also um, ask and interview lots of people in the fields that we're writing on. So in this case, the medical profession, public health, and they provide us input and their insight uh, to the report. And we do have a section in the report that we call scope, objective and scope, where we identify the groups that we've consulted with. And we also brought on um, uh, Dr. David Walker, who was chaired the initial um, SARS Commission report mm-hmm. to, um, you know, to uh, provide us advice. How f- efficient was the Ontario government in, in learning new information, incorporating that into policy? Uh, and one of the things that I, I guess is, I'll cite as an example, and maybe you can build from that, uh, is the back-to-school plan that they rolled out right near the end of August. Uh, I, I know a lot of people criticize that it took way too long to actually do that. They pretty much knew the school year was going to start in September. But there was some criticism at the time, as you recall, uh, about using uh, the, the Hospital for Sick Children template as, as the basis for this. Uh, and, and a lot of the experts that were involved in that program said, no, 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 you cherry-picked that. You didn't use all the stuff that we wanted to. Uh, were, were they efficient in that manner of, of, of adopting, as, as we learned new information, as we all did about COVID through the, uh, the last nine months? Yeah, on that on that particular issue, I can't really offer too much or too comment. We didn't we didn't look at that particular situation um, uh, prior to school starting, um, so I wouldn't want to lead anyone astray that I, mm-hmm. you know, I was, I was answering the question with some knowledge of that. But but as we learn more about this, I mean, you know, I know that one of the criticisms of the government and for Dr. Williams was uh, in the initial stages, well, you don't need to wear masks. Well, I think everybody was of that mind. I mean, we learned more about it and decided, no, 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 yeah, we should. Uh, but there was a, an evolution of, of data that would come forward uh, over the months from, from March right until the present day. Uh, were they able to pick up on that? Did they, they pivot their policies to try to adopt to those, those, those new information pieces? Yeah, I think as as things came, uh, you know, to the table, you know, I think jurisdictions and, and around the world were doing things. I think Ontario was was following that. Um, you know, in the area of masking, um, in that situation, we do know that the public health units in Ontario would have liked, you know, to kind of get together and, and uh, pull together a policy that could have been more uniform across Ontario. The way it turned out, public health officers had to issue their own, and so. There was some differences between, you know, age and masking, which what age of child would be uh, having to use a mask, and that was coming out, I think, before the school year was starting. So there were areas that, you know, more collective um, discussion in one direction would have would have helped. There was another uh, piece here in, uh, in the report that talked about the, the, the communication, or sometimes the muddled communication, uh, between government policy and, and the messaging that was being sent down to those local public health units. Uh, and, and I know talking to a, a few of them over the last nine months that they were concerned about the lack of clarity and sometimes what they thought were contradictory statements from the province, uh, which made it awfully difficult for them to try to implement uh, changes in policy, of course, at the local level. Uh, what kind of feedback did you get from those local health units? Um, yes, my team did uh, reached out, uh, interviewed some of the chief medical officer staff, and then surveyed uh, the ones that we didn't talk directly to. I mean, one example would be uh, the announcement about uh, an increase in testing. So when the criteria and or the eligibility for testing was changed, sometimes that notification came out at the time it was being announced, and so. 
um, you know, people were then, um, you know, wanting to get tested, but the assessment centers, uh, you know, weren't necessarily equipped to do that right away, either from the hospital side or from, uh, and from the public health interface side as well. On that on that topic of transparency, let's talk a little bit about that because uh, uh, we we talked about the and the premier's talked about on a daily basis about the consultation that he's done with uh, quote unquote medical experts that, that he, he would refer to, uh, but there was some concern raised and I think you addressed this in the report about what was said during those consultative meetings about you know was there unanimity about this was there contrary opinions being expressed uh, who said what uh, you know was there a consensus about this or did these things lose by a nine eight vote and government went ahead with them. We don't know much about what happened there and who said what. Mm-hmm. Um, well, the way the way on February 28th, the health table was struck, and that health table was chaired by the Deputy Minister of Health. Um, when she wasn't there, it would have been chaired by the CEO of Ontario Health. Uh, there was a membership on that. There were two people, I believe, from Public Health Ontario that were members, and then two others, and that was the science the science input into it. Um, the chief medical officer was a member of that group, but then they had most of their communications on the telephone, teleconferences, from the time the pandemic hit up until about July. And by over that period of time, the number of people that were on those calls increased, and sometimes there would be 90 people on those calls. So the feedback that we heard was that people didn't know whether the person that was talking had the you know, appropriate background to sort of lead a discussion in a certain direction for a certain decision or, you know, whether the right people were um, contributing, uh, you know, because it depended on who kind of spoke loudest during the meeting. And then, you know, there were different people that were on the calls at different times. And in some cases, people might have felt, um, you know, a little bit uncomfortable if there were more senior people, less, you know. So so there that was the situation. Having said that, that group uh, would make recommendations, and that those recommendations would go to what they called a command table, um, sorry, a coordination table, and that was chaired jointly chaired by the Secretary of Cabinet and by the Chief of Staff to the Premier, and there would be a number of people participating there, and from there, um, that would go to the Premier and uh, Cabinet, and they would they would make the ultimate decision. Uh, just by extension, I wanted to just get your comment, if I could, Bonnie, about one other thing that I've heard an awful lot about and uh, how governments, and not just the Ontario government, but other governments, but we'll specify the Ontario government here, uh, presented uh, their their policies and, and, and their changes of, of policy as this thing started to evolve. Uh, politicians getting up on the podium and talking, and then medical experts with their own press conference later on, sometimes with contradictory message or confusing messages. Is it helpful or hurtful to, to have elected officials as, as, as the, the messengers in this, or should we just lean on the, on the medical advice in, in times of, of let's, let's face it, very challenging times of pandemic? Right. I, I think, you know, I mean, if you go to, um, so what happened in Ontario is this was the structure that I sort of described that was set up. When there's an emergency in a province, usually what you have is you have a provincial emergency plan and you have a health response plan. And when an emergency hits, you trigger those plans. So in those plans, there there would normally be clearly described roles, responsibilities, who communicates, um, you know, where do you meet, um, a lot of details. And unfortunately, those plans in Ontario weren't maintained or up to date. So because that wasn't the case, uh, Secretary of Cabinet had to hire a consulting firm to sort of set up this model uh, 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 the, in the way that it's working right now. 
and uh, other provinces were able to use their plans. Now, the difference is the, the way it operates now, it's more advisory. It, when you trigger uh, an IMS plan, um, it basically is a command and control. So there's a delegation of roles and responsibility and a little bit more clarity about who speaks to what. And not everything is, is uh, moved up to the top. So um, that, that's one point. The other point is, you know, the chief medical officer in the time of a pandemic, there is a, a, a sort of a flick of a switch, too, because typically he's operating as an assistant deputy minister into a deputy minister. But the, uh, the legislation allows him to take a more, uh, a more uh, forward role. Now, it's all about personalities and, uh, you know, about how, you know, people see this working. And so, you know, the way it is working in Ontario is the way it evolved. Um, and uh, so the, the communication that's being done is, you know, what the parties that were involved with really agreed to or, or uh, facilitated, right? Always good. great to get an objective perspective on this and, and to try to get away from the political lens on some of the uh, information as we're getting, I, which is why I always look forward to uh, your reports and uh, our conversations, Bonnie. Thank you so much for the time today. Well, thank you so much. Have a great Take day. Take care. Yeah, Ontario Auditor General Bonnie Lissick and uh, her comments about the report that she issued yesterday. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.